Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Julia, thank you to Sonia and uh, Tim as well, who's working away in the background there. Uh, our worship leaders are, are working very hard for us uh, to get things onto uh, worship onto Zoom. <coughs> Excuse me, to make it work well. Uh, yep. So th- I, I, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Um, so, have you ever asked? You found yourself at a time in life where you've ever asked, "Where is God?" Uh, perhaps in uh, times of despair, perhaps uh, things are going on in life where uh, you just causes you to cry out, God, where are you? Perhaps it's at the moment as you watch the news, you see all that is going on in the world. You see the suffering, injustice, um, sickness, you see racism, uh, and you see all sorts of things that are difficult. Uh, and there's much going on in the world that doesn't even make the news that we don't know about. But perhaps you look at that and you think, you find yourself going, God, where are you? Perhaps you're desperate to hear God speak. Perhaps in your own life, you're just thinking, God, I want to hear from you. Where are you at the moment? Uh, and today, we, I want us to look at how God's is involved, actually, how he is involved in his universe, in his creation how he is not distant from us not distant from events of the world how actually he knows the whole sweep of history but knows us individually knows us personally is concerned for us wants relationship with us uh, and he is involved in all of humanity as well Uh, and just because we don't understand or cannot see it doesn't mean that God is not at work So today we're going to begin a new series on the book of Ezra and we're going to see that God is a God of all history or past of present and of future Uh, and in all of that he is working for his purposes. So we're going to begin looking at Ezra uh, and we'll see that actually uh, Ezra and Nehemiah originally they were one book uh, that was spanning a number of years of Israel's history Uh, and we're only going to look at Ezra because the Gorton guys have looked at Nehemiah previously so I just wanted to look at Ezra for a few weeks and as we begin it's important that we understand it a little bit Uh, and we need to just know that Ezra is an odd book that there's just there's no way of other way of skinning that cat it is a, a strange book there's lots of hope in this book there's also lots of activity but there's also very very deep disappointment Uh, and lots of very difficult themes that come out as well. So Ezra, the book of Ezra begins about 50 years after exile. And exile was when the Babylonians tore through Israel, destroyed the temple, uh, destroyed much of Jerusalem, and took many of the people of Israel, the Jewish people, into exile, took them back uh, to to Babylon and to some of the other cities in Persia. And Ezra and Nehemiah as well, tell the story of the return of the people of God to Israel, to Jerusalem, and tell it through three characters, actually. Uh, as Zerubbabel, who has one of the best names in the Bible, just say Zerubbabel out loud, and, and it's just satisfying, isn't it? I'm not even sh- sure I'm saying it right, but still, it brings me a amount of joy. So Zerubbabel uh, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they are the three characters 
which these two books are built around. And Zerubbabel bought the first group of exiles back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. Okay, that's the first section of Ezra and Nehemiah. Then the second section is Ezra. Actually, about 60 years later, actually, uh, he returns uh, from, uh, from Persia, from Babylonia, uh, and taught the Bible and rebuilt the community there based on the teaching of scriptures as they had at the time. And then just after Ezra, there's a guy called Nehemiah and he returns and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And on all three of these stories, there are some pretty significant highs and some crushing lows. Uh, and sometimes they come quite rapidly after each other. Uh, and to understand these books, um, we need to kind of have an understanding of really what God's saying throughout the Old Testament. At, and actually, this is themes that carried on into the New Testament, and we'll see how. Uh, and some of the important things we need to think about as we read Ezra is the promises of God. So some of the promises of God were to Abraham in Genesis saying, look, I'm going to, there's going to be a great people. Okay. As many as the sand on the beach, the stars in the sky, you will be a kingdom over all kingdoms. You are going to be blessed. Your family will be blessed to be a blessing, which is just, I, I love that turn of phrase. You're going to be blessed to be a blessing. Okay. So uh, that was the promise of God there uh, to Abraham, but also there was a promise that they would have a king to lead them, a Messiah in the line of David. Okay, King David was uh, the, their second king after Saul, but the great king. Uh, and it's saying that there is going to be a Messiah in the line of David, a new king, and also a temple. And the temple, uh, we just think, oh, it's a building, but actually the temple was the place where the universe kind of crosses over between eternity and earth. That's the place where God comes and meets his people. Okay, it's like a uh, where physically eternity was all in the same place. The divine was all there. The temple is just a very potent symbol. And so they were promised these things and they were very powerful promises that the people of Israel were holding on to. And so we're going to begin our journey with Ezra and particularly with Zerubbabel for the next few weeks. And we're going to see the involvement of God moving through history, moving to keep his promises, moving to restore creation, uh, moving to do all of the things that we talk about. God is the God of history. And we're going to see today that God moves at a very high level. And he also moves at a very low level as well. And he does that often at exactly the same time. Uh, and so we're going to look at that today. So let's look first at the very beginning, Ezra uh, chapter one, verse one, and look at how God moves at high level. Now, like I said last week, we're not putting the words up on the screen for you. Um, I, I want you to have your Bibles open. So I'm kind of stalling a little bit now. You get your Bibles, whether it's on your phone or you've got paper Bible uh, and get it out, get it in front of you. Kids, if you're managing to listen, well done. Um, but you get your Bible and look at this, go to Ezra one. For me, it's on page 450. 30. It'll be a different number for you. So that's not helpful. But get Ezra and uh, get it open. First chapter, first verse. Okay. And just, you don't need to look at my face as handsome as I am. Look at your Bible and let's, let's read just that first verse. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, Persia so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Okay, so let's remember, God made these big promises to Israel. Uh, so this first verse is just packed with kind of tension and hope and meaning. Okay, what, what is God going to do? Is he going to bring his promises 
uh, into being? What's going to happen? What's the next step? And there's also this other promise that is referenced, this promise said to Jeremiah, actually, that exile will end. Okay, this is not forever. And Jeremiah prophesied this, said, look, in 70 years, the people of God will start coming back to Israel. And actually, Ezra begins 50 years. So God is being merciful. He's shaved off a couple of decades because he loves his people. He wants them for himself. He wants to have relationship restored to, with them. He wants purposes restored. And so we're going to see the God of history moving now in the hearts of Cyrus. Okay, Cyrus, the king of all Babylon. Cyrus, who swept aside his enemies. Actually, a very powerful man in history, a brilliant military leader, a brilliant politician as well. And he was a brilliant politician because actually he allowed many of the captives that have been taken to Babylon over years before him, his time as well, uh, many nations to return home to their different nations. And he believed that people would be easier to rule and he could rule more of them if actually they were allowed to carry on with their own culture, their own religions. He wasn't about imposing that onto people. And he felt that people would be more compliant and more willing to pay taxes uh, always follow the money uh, and that's you know was what he decided to do and we're seeing this played out so if we then keep reading to what Ezra uh, to what Cyrus sorry says and he says look thus says Cyrus king of Persia okay talking about himself in, in third person man of power uh, he says the Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem which is in Judah Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem and let each savior in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Now, as well as this being quite a good thing for, uh, for the people of Israel and for numbers of people groups, uh, it's been a good thing. And as we're seeing Cyrus, brilliant military leader, great politician, but also a man of quite significant ego. Okay. Uh, and what he's hoping for here is that all of the gods that he is allowing these temples to be rebuilt for will be grateful to him. Okay. He thinks all of these gods helped him to become this great king. Actually, all of the gods were on his side. He believed in any number of gods, not just one. Uh, and he thought they're going to be grateful to me for returning them to his temples. And actually, he believed that those gods would then start to worship his particular Babylonian gods as well. Okay, he, it's, This is a man of ego. The whole universe really spins around him at the moment. So, uh, but what we are seeing here is that he's not a follower and believer of Jesus we, or, or of God. We need to understand that. Uh, although he talks about being him, the Lord, the God of heaven. Well, that's how the Israelites talked about God. So he was just copying their language. Okay. He didn't understand that this was the one true living God, that all other gods are dead. This is the one true living God. Uh, he didn't understand or believe any of that. But God used him. God uses Cyrus to bring restoration, to fulfill those promises and prophetic words. God is moving in ways that at this point Israel cannot see, that cannot understand. God is above their level of power and of influence and he is moving the spirit of some of the most powerful people in the world at that time. Now I don't know about you but we have these people in our world today don't we? 
these very powerful people and they look pretty intimidating to us uh, and uh, but they don't to gods they look like finite humans to gods and so i read this and i think i wonder how the exiles felt about cyrus okay this distant and dominant king and remember that they probably had never even set eyes on this on this man okay we know what all of our world leaders look like we could get a picture of any politician in the world probably any leader in culture politics science sport whatever it was and we'd know what they look like we you know there's a good chance of that but here they wouldn't know what he looked like they wouldn't know very much about him he's distant dominant very much in control very unapproachable that would be properly intimidating i think and perhaps how we view world leaders perhaps how we view the culture we live in uh, is perhaps something that is just it cannot be changed we live in a place and time in history and we think what influence do we have we, we we can't really bring very much change to that but actually god's view of the situation is very very different to ours god's plan is always moving forward just because we can't see it perhaps just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that god isn't moving and Ezra here gives us a brief glimpse behind the curtain, like a play, the magic that's made on the stage in front, but there's lots of activity happening behind. And actually Ezra just moves the curtain so we can get a glimpse of what's going on there, showing the sovereignty of God, his hand in history, how his plan is the ultimate plan. And if we are crying out in life, and maybe you are at the moment, where are you, gods? Well, this passage actually gives us a clue. God is at work. Proverbs 21 says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it where he wills. God operates at just a very, very high level, the highest level. When I was writing this, I was thinking about my friend Andre, and I feel like I quote Andre all the time, so I apologize if you feel like you've heard this before, but actually Andre describes uh, when he lived in the east of Ukraine, when war came, when um, the separatists rose up, rose up back by the Russians and, and uh, separated off a large chunk of east of Ukraine. But he would say, look, before this happened, we were just a small group of churches in small towns, not even really even in the cities in the east of Ukraine. Uh, and that was our worldview. We were just for that small area, our small patch of Ukraine. But war came and they now... Uh, about six, seven years later, find themselves planting churches in Europe, in India, in any number of countries. This small group of churches has found that just their reach and influence and the move of God has exploded for them. Now, I don't say this flippantly at all, because actually when war comes, there is immense suffering. And in the east of Ukraine, there is still fighting. He sent me a video just last week of gunfire and shooting uh, that says still death. There is still poverty. Okay, so this is hard for us to get our heads around, but we also must know, yeah, God is there. God is at work. So God works at a very high level. God also works at a low level. So let's keep reading in Ezra 1, verse 5. I'm assuming you've still got your Bibles open in front of you. You can look down again. Look at verse 5. It says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So God 
can move the spirit of Cyrus, one of the greatest kings uh, at that point in world history, perhaps the most powerful man in the world at that moment. God moves him. He also stirs up the people of Israel, those who are in exile, whose country has been destroyed. They've been forcibly removed, taken thousands of miles to a foreign land. God moves their heart as well. His plan is going to be worked out at the very high level and at the very low level. And it's a fascinating thing to me as you read this, just to think about this for a moment, okay? Uh, God influences Cyrus, very powerful, like we're saying, and God influenced his people. And if we read at the end of Ezra uh, chapter 2, it talks about the total number of people that Zerubbabel took with him at that moment. And it's something like um, maybe nearly 50,000, if you include their slaves and their servants, okay, that go back. I think 50,000, that's not a bad group. That would be all right. If we could church plant at 50,000, we'd be well happy. But 50,000 actually take it in context. So it's thought 50 years previously, uh, actually when the Babylonians faded, that Israel was a people of maybe one to two million and actually, in the time of David and Solomon, this was definitely a people of nearly two million. This nation has been reduced down to a small group, actually, in context of 50,000 people that are then going to go back to Israel, to Jerusalem. And actually, it's thought that many of them stayed behind. There is evidence that suggests this, that many people stayed behind in Babylon because life there was, was actually good. They were building lives for themselves. Cyrus actually was a reasonable king who, who just, and so it wasn't a difficult place to say. So many of them stayed behind. We see actually Israel has been reduced down to a remnant. And actually, the idea of a remnant is, is common. In the Bible. Think about Gideon's army, for example, reduced uh, down from quite a big group of volunteers down to a quite a small group that God then uses to win victory. God often works through the remnant. In fact, I think he prefers it. He prefers a faithful small group than a large crowd who shrug their shoulders and don't have much faith. And perhaps in your workplace, perhaps in your school, perhaps even in your family or, or maybe the area that you live in, you think, gosh, there aren't many Christians here. I feel like in faith, I'm a little bit on my own. That's a bit disheartening. Well, actually, God prefers that tactic. Okay? He is not worried by small numbers. If you look at the, the history of revivals, they often begin with just a small group, a faithful few praying. Jesus said himself, look, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there am I among you. And when we read this, often we read this in a quite defeatist way, like you've had a prayer meeting that hardly anybody turned up to and someone will go, well, Jesus said when there's just two or three and you're like, yeah, just two or three again. And it's a quite a defeatist thing. Well, I think actually God prefers that. When he talks about uh, the kingdom, when Jesus talks about it like mustard seeds, uh, and it's not accidental, okay? God will start with something very, very small uh, so that he can work, so that glory goes to him. God is very happy with two or three faith-filled followers. So we see God of history, God of past, present, and future, working in a powerful ruler and the faithful few. And as we read this, just think, actually, do I feel insignificant, worthless, actually like my, my efforts are really very minimal, not making much difference. Well, the God of history sees you. He knows you. He wants you to listen. Actually, perhaps he's stirring your spirit like he did then. 
Uh, a friend of mine uh, moved uh, his family. Uh, they, together, the two of them, they moved their family to a country in the east. Let's just leave it there. Um, but it's a global city, a really big place, a um, country of hundreds of millions of people. The city they moved to, tens and tens of millions of people. Uh, and, but in that whole country, there were probably only a few thousand Christians, out hundreds of millions of people uh, who followed the Islamic faith in some cases. Uh, and then there was just a few thousand, not even overstating that, a few thousand Christians. Uh, and he moved his family there. And I'm going to tell you, they are never going to be famous missionaries. Good people never be famous missionaries. But they are very diligent. They are very faithful. They are bringing up their family as believers. They are serving the church. They are working jobs and serving the city. They're just loving the place that they are and just being faithful to God. And I think God looks at that, that small family, and he's like, this is my remnant. I'm very pleased with this. I'm excited by this. And there is deep impact there. They are vital to God's plan. Now, humanly, we might look at this and think, gosh, there's only a few of them. Look at all of the hundreds of millions who don't believe and don't follow. God works through a faithful few. God works through the remnant. And finally, just to finish, God's word is what begins the story. So we've seen God works at the very high level. He works at a very low level. But in both cases, what gets things moving is when God decides to speak, to stir us. When God speaks, people move. When God speaks, things happen. Creation began with God speaking. Abraham moved his family because God spoke. Moses leads the people out of Egypt because God speaks. And when we read Cyrus's proclamation, this, you know, very powerful king who has pretty high opinion of himself and, his, uh, and the things that he does, uh, actually, really, God is speaking there. God is making the moves. God speaks for his plan to come into being. God begins this journey. And this is a, a journey for Israel, not just physically and geographically, although it was a very long journey, um, but actually this is about the returning to relationship with him and it wouldn't work out in the way they expected all of god's promises are going to be fulfilled but not in the way they were expecting and we're going to see that as we go through ezra we will see those highs and those disappointments and these disappointments actually are quite important and we'll see them over the next few weeks these disappointments make us realize that we are being pointed forward to something saying these, these people are trying in their best to make this happen but actually we are waiting for something for someone who's much better much greater someone in whom all god's promises will be fulfilled someone in whom this great kingdom actually will advance someone who will actually be this new king this new king in the line of david's uh, someone actually who will restore the temple not the physical building the, something that's geographical but actually he will bring the presence of God back to earth in himself and in his people. All of Ezra is pointing towards Jesus. So today you might feel that insignificance. You might feel, yeah, Tim, I'm just a person at the low level. There are all these things happening around me in life. And you might be thinking world leaders, or, or you might be thinking someone in your family who dominates and controls. All of these things happening in your life, actually, God is at work. Perhaps, again, overwhelmed by what's happening in the world. Perhaps you feel you are just a tiny remnant. Perhaps you feel like the captive, like they did, like Israel, stuck maybe in a bad relationship. 
Perhaps you feel captive to financial difficulties. Perhaps you feel captive to habits that you just can't break. Perhaps you feel captive to physical illness or, or mental illness, whatever is going on at the moment. And you find yourself going, God, God, where are you? And as we read this, we see God is at work. God is at work in ways we can't see, perhaps we can't even understand. God also wants to speak. He wants to stir hearts. Actually, if you feel like you're on your own, actually, God would say, I've done quite a lot with people who are just on their own. God wants to move. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to hand back to Ben and Julia. Uh, Lord God, Lord God, I thank you that you move, Lord, and you move in ways we can't see. Lord, I pray that this morning, just as we're sat at our computers, Lord, we're thinking about your words. We're thinking about what you do. Lord God, we ask, would you move and stir hearts even now? Lord, I thank you for the, all the different people in, in this church in Gorton. Lord, would you stir hearts? Lord, I pray if there's anyone listening and watching right now who doesn't believe in you, wouldn't count themselves as a follower of Jesus, actually, would you stir their hearts and just help them to realize, actually, they need to come home to you to find true purpose, to get lined up with the promises for the whole universe. Lord God, would you bring people back home to you even now? Yes, Lord Jesus.